This is part two of the combined Fall of 98 series. If you haven't listened to part one, go do that first. We'll be here when you get back. As youth pastor Tom walked back toward the youth side of the building, I caught my breath. His footsteps faded down the hall. I heard some shuffling behind a nearby door. Is he gone? I'd almost forgotten that Raven ducked into the tech booth. I told her it was safe to come out. Thanks, kid. Where'd Amy go? Why do you always call me kid? You know I'm a year older than you. I don't know. It just feels right. I think Amy left. She's probably still out back. I'm gonna go find her. Thanks for looking out. Aren't you mad that she just left you? Raven stopped and seemed to form her thoughts for a moment. This place just makes her jumpy. You know, most of the things people do don't have anything to do with anyone else. If you remember that, it makes life a lot less complicated. There was a pause while I tried to put to words what I was thinking. I'm sorry about what he said. That had to be weird to listen to. People are usually exactly who you think they are. Don't overthink it. Anyway, I gotta catch up with her. We still need to talk. Later, kid. That night, I slept hard. There were no nightmares, and I felt great the next day. After school, the walk to the church was sunny, and there was a cool breeze. It was a perfect day. It was starting to feel like fall. September was coming to an end, and it was almost time for the walk through hell. We worked hard the last few days of the month. The sets and the hell cave were almost done with time to spare. So, at the church after school, we went back to hanging out in the youth side of the building. Everything felt great. Me and Val were getting along again. There were no new strange anomalies. Maybe all I needed was a good night's sleep. That good feeling didn't last. The next morning, I woke up to the news that another girl was missing. She was in the next town over, right on the edge of the metro. She was a senior in high school, just like me. She was working a closing shift at a fast food restaurant. She went out the back door to take the trash to the dumpster, and she never came back. The police made a new statement. They said that this latest case further proves that the Tri-City Killer is stalking his victims before abducting them. They didn't think he just happened to be in the right place at the right time to grab her on her way to the dumpster. He was waiting for her. They warned young women in particular to be on the lookout for someone following them, someone they all of a sudden seemed to encounter more often. At school, no one really talked about it anymore. Not like at the beginning of the year when it was on everyone's minds. While each new event was still shocking, you ran out of new ways to talk about it pretty quickly. One day, in between classes, I stopped into the bathroom and I heard a familiar voice behind me. Hey kid, 
How's your sleep? Why did she keep finding me in the bathroom? Much better, thanks. Speaking of sleep, me and Amy were talking, and we want to help you with your demon problem. I was skeptical. Yeah? How's that? We're having a sleepover at Amy's this weekend. Just me and her. You should come too. We can talk there. Why does it have to be a whole sleepover? Can't we just do it somewhere else? There's a lot to talk about. Trust me, it's nothing sketchy. Amy didn't get to finish what she wanted to say at the church. Why can't she come find me? Her classes are on the other side of the building? Ugh, Jesus Christ. Do you want our help or not? Sorry. Yeah. Okay. After school, I told my mom I was invited to a sleepover at Amy's. As it turns out, youth pastor Tom had already called my mom and told her that he saw us together. She'd been meaning to bring it up. He told her that he was concerned about who I was hanging out with. I told my mom that Amy was interested in coming back to the church, so that's why we were talking again. She gave me a look, as if trying to figure out if I was telling the truth. Then she relented and told me I could go. I felt terrible for lying to her. And somehow, even more, I felt terrible that she believed me. All the adults in my life were concerned about me being around Amy. And the Bible says to honor your mother and father, to listen to the church elders. Maybe they were onto something that I wasn't. But then again, Amy and Raven seemed to be the only people taking me seriously. Nonetheless, I was nervous about going to their sleepover. It's hard to explain. I think I was actually starting to like Raven. Amy was still standoffish, and while I don't think they were actually up to anything, I couldn't completely rule out that this was a big game to gas me up and then humiliate me. Regardless, as a Christian, you have to be careful with non-believers. That includes when you're trying to talk to them about joining the church. Even when they don't mean any harm, they just don't have the same values as you. Things that seemed innocent enough, the wrong kind of music or movies, that could lead to impure thoughts, or worse, normalizing the idea of sex before marriage. Or, more specifically in my case, the little games I played in Amy's basement all those years ago. Light as a feather, stiff as a board, Bloody Mary, trying to talk to the dead. That can open the door to all kinds of awful spirits and demons. So I needed to know just as much as they did about all things satanic. I don't know what they're planning, a seance or their own weird version of an exorcism. I had to know what to look out for. I couldn't agree to do anything that would make me a participant in something evil. We didn't have internet yet at my house so the church library was where I was going to learn it. I waited until most of the other youth group kids were gone, and then I broke away from the group. I made my way over to the old side of the building where the church library was located. It wasn't much, basically just another Sunday school room with a couple of old donated couches and a few bookshelves. 
There was a rolling cart with a TV and VCR on it, like the ones at school. The sun was starting to get low in the sky, so the lighting wasn't great. There were motes of dust in the air, and the room smelled of old books that had been behind a closed door for too long. One bookshelf was full of VHS tapes. Everything else was books that had been donated from church members. At least half of them were Christian adaptations of popular self-help books. There was a fiction section with the left-behind books and other Christian literature from the last 20 years. And then I found what I was looking for. A single shelf in one bookcase devoted to spiritual warfare. I picked up the first book on the shelf and leafed through it. Then the next. Everything about what to do to avoid demonic influence. Nothing about what to do once you have it. I remembered what Amy said. It's about control. There's nothing about how to fix it because it isn't real. It's just about controlling you. I shook the thought away. These books were no help. I leaned back on the big couch in the far wall of the room. I allowed my shoulders to relax, and I took some deep breaths. I didn't want to turn on the overhead lights and draw attention to myself, should Youth Pastor Tom or anyone look down the hallway. The light coming through the window wasn't great, but it was enough. I don't know what happened next. I must have closed my eyes and dozed off, but I suddenly had the feeling that I was being watched. I was suddenly very aware of my surroundings. When I opened my eyes, it was dark. Not completely dark, but more so than when I'd closed my eyes. How long had I been asleep? My heart started pounding and my adrenaline was racing. Before I closed my eyes, I'd been able to hear the faint sounds of the other youth group kids down the long hall and around the corner in the youth wing. But now, it was silent. Well, not quite silent. The room felt different. The rolling cart with the TV and VCR felt looming and menacing. It cast a shadow on the far wall. A fear welled up in my chest. Was I alone in the building? Or even worse, had my friends gone home and something else is in here with me? I was frozen to the couch. I was only a few feet from the open door. I saw images of the figure from my nightmares roaming the dark halls of the church as though stalking me. I heard something else. Someone was out there. The combination of my still groggy eyes and the flood of adrenaline made the shadows in the hallway appear to swirl. I took stock of the nearest exits. Could I get to them fast enough? And then what? I run screaming into the night? I looked out the window. It faced the street. It was quiet. 
No one outside mowing the yard or sitting on their porches. A blue car parked on the curb. In that moment, the streetlights clicked on. There was no one out there to help. I turned back to the room. I could see the reflection of the window in the dark TV screen. I was hyper-focused. I don't know why, but as my heart sped up, and as the panic started to take over, I couldn't look away from the screen. And just when I thought I might pass out, and the edges of my vision went red, the TV screen cracked. I stood up on instinct. The couch squeaked loud as I moved. If there was someone or something out there, it knew I was here. I was unsteady on my feet. I may not be able to run, but whatever it was out there, whatever was about to happen to me, I was going to meet it standing up. Hello? It was Val. My legs almost gave out underneath me. The lights came on in the hallway. Harsh fluorescent light came pouring in the open doorway. I didn't realize it, but I'd been hyperventilating. I was sobbing uncontrollably. Urgent footsteps were coming toward me. I could hear more than one person. A moment later, Val and Cam came rushing into the church library. Hey, what are you doing over here? Everyone's gone. I tried to say something, to tell them I'd fallen asleep, but I couldn't compose myself long enough to make any sense. Cam looked at Val and then me. We were worried. We didn't see you leave and we couldn't find you. I was so embarrassed. Tears were pouring down my cheeks. I'd cried in front of Valerie a million times, never in front of Cam. Just like that, my anxious nights were back. Terrible dreams. That awful dread before looking into a mirror. The week drug by, and then it was Friday. The day of the sleepover. Amy saw me across the cafeteria at lunch and held eye contact for a moment, giving me a little nod of acknowledgement. It occurred to me that I hadn't even talked to her about her own sleepover. I'd only talked to Raven. That little nod was all I needed. That evening, I packed a bag with a change of clothes, some pajamas, and a few things from the bathroom. At around sunset, I stepped out my front door and my mom watched as I walked down the street to Amy's. It was clear that Amy's mom was just as confused about the sleepover as my mom had been. She was friendly and kind, the way I remember her, but I could sense it in her body language, suspicion. The house was different too. Since her dad had moved out, the furniture had changed. Amy had made the basement, which used to be the big family room, into her own space. She'd moved her bedroom down there, and the big common room was her own kind of living room. 
Even though everything had changed, I could still imagine the space as it was. Honestly, it felt less awkward than I'd expected it to, but I was still on edge. I was glad when Amy asked if we wanted to go outside and use the fire pit in the backyard. There was a tall wooden privacy fence which made the yard feel safe. It also meant that with us being outside, Amy's mom wouldn't overhear us so easily. It only took a few minutes to get a small fire started, and then we sat around and no one really said anything. I guess no one was sure how to bring up why we were all there. Finally, I broke the tension. So, I never got a chance to tell you all about what's been happening to me. We didn't have time when we were walking to school and last week at church. Ugh, it sounds so stupid when I say it out loud. Raven took advantage of the silence and jumped in. We've actually got something to tell you too. Amy spoke up next. Why don't you go first? I took a breath and let my guard down. I hoped I wouldn't regret it. They listened as I started from the beginning. Those nights in the sixth grade when we watched the craft in Amy's basement. Amy knows all of this, but I didn't know how much Raven knew. Based on her uncritical and slightly bored expression, I assumed she knew it all. I talked about getting caught, about the emergency meeting that our parents put together with the church leaders. Amy rolled her eyes when I mentioned this part, but I got the impression that it was less directed at me and more toward the adults who were there that night. I didn't expect to get emotional, but when I talked about that night, about how the adults said they felt the Holy Spirit working as they prayed, how the other girls, Amy included, said they felt healed and cleansed from evil, and how I told them that I felt it too. But I lied. I didn't feel anything. I thought for a long time that maybe you didn't have to feel something. Maybe it affected people differently. Or maybe I wasn't the only one who lied. But no one ever said anything, and we never talked about it again. After a while, I more or less forgot about it. Until this year. When I started talking about what had happened in the last few months, particularly that I could control smoke, Amy and Raven seemed to perk up. They hadn't been rude or dismissive, but they also didn't seem particularly interested until then. I told them I'd started seeing faces in mirrors over the summer, and that I was having these nightmares and visions. At first, someone lurking around the church in the dead of night, and then later they became visions of that figure killing Valerie. They gave each other a look. I had a feeling that if they hadn't been taking me seriously before, they were now. You know that none of this is real, right? The demons and the prayers are both make-believe? I was taken back. I thought they were both into satanic stuff. Worshipping the devil and summoning demons. That's the whole reason I told them. You don't believe in the devil? No, I don't. Didn't you feel something that night, though? 
Yeah, of course I did. When you grow up like we did, you're primed to believe in magic. And I believed in magic back then. And everyone we looked up to was giving us all this attention. Even... She trailed off there, and Raven jumped in. Amy doesn't believe in anything. I'm the one you want to talk to about anything spiritual. But this is pretty witchy, Caitlin. Isn't witchcraft the same as devil worship? No, it's something completely different. There's no god or devil. More like natural powers from the earth that you learn to harness. It's not inherently good or bad. It's all about what you do with it. It was hard for me to imagine a belief system that was outside the Bible. I understood devil worship because it was still rooted in the Bible. It had the same cast of characters that I already knew. I wasn't exactly following what she was talking about, but I tried to keep up. It sounds like you've stumbled on a way to harness some kind of power, or maybe it's coming to you as you're like, growing up? That happens sometimes in the movies. I was still trying to process what Raven said when Amy spoke up. I think there's another explanation to what's been going on. At least, some of it. I know you're going to get defensive about this, but please, hear me out. Okay. Okay. There's this thing my therapist told me about. It happens when you push down emotions or thoughts that you don't like. But they're so intense, they start to work their way out. Okay. I think you know who the Tri-City Killer is. And I think I know who it is too, and I think that's why all these things are happening to you. She hesitated for a long time. It was a moment before I realized what was happening. She was expecting me to put some piece together. I'm sorry, I'm not following. Amy and Raven looked at each other, and then back at me. It's Youth Pastor Tom. I think he's the Tri-City Killer. I rolled my eyes so hard it almost hurt. I want you to look at something. She pulled out a clear plastic bin with what looked like newspaper cutouts. I've been working on this. He strikes about once a month, and it usually happens on a Sunday night, right after youth group is over. And you are the victims? It's girls the same age as us. And I know you know how creepy he can be. She was right when she assumed that I would get defensive. I didn't like it when he talked about my clothes or lectured me about boys, but that didn't make him a murderer. Amy had been gone for too long. She didn't know what she was talking about. I felt heat in my cheeks, and it wasn't coming from the fire. They're always from towns right around us, but never here. That means he probably lives here, and he can't take anyone here because he's too recognizable. Someone would remember him, or his car in the area near the crime scene. But in towns around us, he's just some guy. Remember the second girl? She got out of her car in the middle of a country road, and someone took her? You have to be able to gain people's trust. Who's better at that than he is? I wasn't convinced. Not even remotely. If he holds to this pattern, the next time he kills will be during the walk through hell, and I think he'll do it there whether he likes it or not. 
The urge will get to a boiling point by then, he won't be able to help himself, and he'll be surrounded by his victim type, high school girls. He hates them, you can tell the way he talks to them, the way he talks to you. Raven jumped in before I could open my mouth and let loose. Okay, what we're saying is, is that we want to tag along at the walk through hell. If we're wrong, and nothing happens, then we're wrong, no big deal. We'll all go our separate ways. But if we're right, if we're right, you help catch a serial killer. Amy jumped back in. And while we're there, we can learn more about your powers, or whatever. Maybe they're just in your head, or maybe you've accidentally tapped into some earth power. Or you're right, and there really is a demon stalking you. One way or another, don't you think the walk through hell is a dangerous place for you to be alone without anyone on your side? If anything will trigger your demon, it's the walk through hell. I didn't answer. My head was spinning. I know, it's a lot. Just think it over. Let us tag along and watch the church. Think of us as spiritual bodyguards. And while we're there, we'll work on our thing. Everyone wins. What happened back then? What changed for you? Amy and Raven looked at each other again. Just trust me. I had to go to counseling with Youth Pastor Tom and Mrs. Hart after the whole thing happened. Just trust me. He's a creep. She is too. Is that why you gave up on church? No, it was already happening. Everything that happened, it just confirmed that I was already going in the right direction. Then what was it? Why did you leave? Look, don't take this the wrong way. It just felt like growing up. Here. She handed me the box with the newspaper clippings. Just look this over. Look at their pictures. You look just like them. If he is the killer, he's definitely got you on his radar. Amy handed me the tote with all the newspaper clippings, and then she and Raven walked out into the backyard to give me some space. The newspaper clippings weren't exactly in order. There was a lot more about the third victim and onward. In the 90s, you got a newspaper, and when you were done, you threw that newspaper out, and it was gone forever. She hadn't started making connections with the first two. She may not have even heard about them until he was declared a serial killer and given a name. But after he was named a serial killer, all the Tri-City papers started running articles on all of the girls as a group. And that's when I noticed what Amy was talking about. I'd heard about all the girls that had gone missing. I knew their names. I knew how it happened. I'd heard all the rumors about what he did to them. But I'd never really seen their faces. It's a cliche to say that serial killers have a type, but it's not particularly accurate. Not in most cases. This guy, though, he had a type. And Amy was right. They all looked like me. Amy and Raven were still across the yard talking and smoking. It wasn't just that these girls looked like me. I knew their faces 
even though I didn't watch the news or look at the papers. I knew them because I'd been seeing them in the mirror ever since the summer. It hadn't been a strange, distorted version of my own face. It was a blend of theirs and mine. I felt my adrenaline racing and my muscles tighten up. I was breathing heavy. My vision was going red. I think I was starting to have a panic attack. Holy shit! My God! The adrenaline pumping through my body caused my arms to tremor. I pushed the newspaper clippings away from me. I couldn't look at them without the panic getting worse. I remembered the first night after I heard about the Tri-City Killer. Thinking about Cam, touching myself, the power going out, and then alone in my bathroom lit by candlelight, the face of the third girl looking back at me the church bathroom after what happened with Cam. I saw their faces when they went missing, and again when they were found. The timeline fit. Every. Single. Time. No. Fucking. Way. Amy and Raven were looking at me. No. They were looking above me. I followed their gaze. And then I saw it. The smoke from the fire pit had gathered about 10 feet above me. It was like it hit an invisible ceiling and it was pooling up in a flat disc over my head. I finally found my ability to move and I scrambled to my feet and ran toward them. This can't be real. You believe me, don't you? You see it? I'm not making it up. You see it, right? You believe me, right? Tell me you see it. Tell me you see it. When my panic attack faded, whatever held on to the smoke slowly loosened its grip. I was exhausted. Back in Amy's basement, she and Raven paced back and forth. They were manic talking over and past me while I laid back on the couch. Obviously, they'd been wrong about this all being in my head. There was something unnatural going on with me. But Amy was even more convinced that it was happening because I knew the truth about Youth Pastor Tom, and all of my pent-up emotions and denial were driving it. She wasn't going to be convinced of anything else. They spent the night planning. Amy insisted that she be there every night of the walk through hell. She wanted to be sure of his whereabouts the whole time. They would wait in the parking lot if they had to, but if I could get them in and hide them somewhere near the walk through hell, that would be best. I just agreed to everything. I was so exhausted I couldn't think straight. Amy insisted that I check in with them between every show to make sure I was safe and help her keep an eye on all the youth group girls. Somewhere in the middle of all of this, I fell asleep, and I was out for the night. Two days later, Sunday night at youth group, we did the final rehearsals for the walk through hell. 
the kids with speaking roles ran through the scenes one last time. Those of us stationed in the Hell Cave got to walk through with all of the sound and lights for the first time. It looked great. It sounded great. I hung out with Val and Cam and a few others that night, but I couldn't stop thinking about the sleepover at Amy's, the plan we'd made. I looked around the room. I had a secret I could never tell anyone here. That had never happened to me before. These had always been my people. I didn't know how I felt about it. Whether I liked it or not, the walk through hell would begin the first Thursday night of October. Four more days. It was the first night of the walk through hell, and there was energy buzzing through the whole youth wing of the church. We'd all arrived two hours early, and I was in a packed restroom with all the other girls. We were putting on our scary makeup and getting into costume. There was an excitement in the air. The sun was going down. The door opened, and Miss Hart yelled into the room. 20 minutes! The girls who were done cleared out so the others could get to the mirrors. We rushed to finish and get to our places. From our vantage point, we could peek through an opening in the Hell Cave and see the line of customers out the window. It wasn't packed, but it was busy. Youth Pastor Tom called out, 10 minutes. I went to the section of the cave where I'd been assigned. Emily Hart and Lindsay Brooks were on either side of me. There was a sound outside the windows along the side of the building where the line was forming. People were moving. The doors were open. It was time. Amy and Raven had insisted on coming through on the first show. They said it was important for them to see the show so that they knew what they were dealing with. I think they just wanted to make fun of it. The plan was for them to go over to the adult side of the building where I'd meet them between the first and the second show to let them in. I had another moment of doubt that this was all a game, that I'd show up to school in the morning and all their friends would be talking about the girl who thought she was possessed, the girl who let her church's haunted house go to her head. But after the first show, when I got to the other side of the building, there they were, waiting by the glass doors. I pushed the doors open and let them in. Here we go.
Amy and Raven stayed in one of the old Sunday school rooms on the hallway toward the old building. It was the closest one to the youth wing. It only took about 10 seconds to sneak out of the hell cave and dart over to that room. It was just down from one of the restrooms, so if anyone asked where I was going, I just told them I was going to the bathroom. It also meant that Amy and Raven were positioned to see anyone who went down the long hallway toward the new building, the only part of the church that wasn't swarming with people. They could also see out of the windows and into the parking lot, so they could take note of anyone coming or going. So if someone, namely Youth Pastor Tom, tried to lure someone down the hallway away from other people, they'd see it. They'd also see if he tried to follow someone into the parking lot. I was still skeptical of their entire reasoning for being there, but Amy had been right. It was nice knowing that somebody nearby knew what was going on with me if I needed them. I was anxious the entire night of the first show. There was only the scaffolding and paper walls of the hell cave between us and the Sunday school wing. All it would take was the two of them talking a little too loudly or a poorly timed sneeze and they'd be found. But they were disciplined the whole night. No one suspected anything. Just after the last show, they snuck out the side of the building by the new sanctuary, where I'd let them in. There weren't really any cars parked over there, just the church van. They could sneak over to Raven's car from there. Every other night that weekend, they did the same. They came and went through the sanctuary door and then they waited at the back of the parking lot until they saw us all leave, safe and sound. And surprise, Youth Pastor Tom didn't kidnap and murder anyone. At school on Monday, everything was normal. Amy and Raven didn't acknowledge me, and I didn't acknowledge them. On Wednesday night, as I laid awake in bed, I heard my parents go to sleep. I was anxious again, for the first time all week. Maybe using up all that spooky energy on the walk through hell was helping. Maybe facing the darkness made it less intimidating. Tomorrow, the walk through hell would start its second week. Each year, more people showed up for the show the closer we got to Halloween. That's where my anxiety was coming from. The more people there, the more opportunities for something to go wrong. For my demon, or my earth powers, or whatever they were, to go haywire. Ever since the crack in the TV screen in the church library, and the smoke in Amy's backyard that created a rotating disc over my head, I was no longer in denial that something was going wrong with me. Whatever it was, it seemed to happen when my emotions were high. It was all swirling in my head. I looked over at the alarm clock by my bed. The orange letters read 11.35. I knew that I wasn't going to fall asleep just lying in bed, not with the racing thoughts that were going through my head. I got up and walked around the house. When I realized my parents might hear me pacing, 
I laid down on the couch and looked at the ceiling in the dark. The light over the stove was on, and that light filtered out into the living room. The blinds were closed, but the porch light was on. And from my angle, lying down just below the window, I could see through them to the ceiling of the front porch. My mind started to wander away from the walk through hell and my own spiritual warfare. I started thinking about Cam. We'd had a terrible couple of weeks, but ever since we made our peace, we'd been getting along again. Things were basically back to normal, and a thought had occurred to me in the meantime. Maybe that had been Cam's first time kissing someone too, and maybe he didn't know what to do with it, just like I didn't know. Maybe things would be different if it happened again, now that the first one was out of the way. Maybe if it happened somewhere besides church, where there wouldn't be so many prying eyes. Something happened that night that was different from all the other nights that I thought about Cam. Instead of imagining us at church, separating from the group and sneaking off to another part of the building, I felt safe enough to imagine him in my home. That had always felt so unrealistic, so much that I couldn't even indulge in the fantasy. But that night, I imagined him sitting beside me on the couch, our hands grazing. Then he puts a single hand on my face, a gentler, softer version of how the real thing went a few weeks ago. Our lips touch. I feel his hand on my thigh. His shirt comes off, and then so does mine. I'm not as calculated and stoic as I usually was in these fantasies. I let myself fall into the moment. And when I do, the fantasy changes too. He's on top of me now, and then we're on our sides. In real life, my hands are following what his are doing in my mind. One arm wrapped around me, the other on my thigh and moving upward. I focus on him kissing me, fingers grazing my cheek. Then he's kissing my neck. My body tenses up and I'm trying to keep my breathing quiet. It only takes a few moments and then... I open my eyes. The ceiling is slowly spinning. There's an energy still moving through my body. I focus on catching my breath. I don't feel the guilt that I'm accustomed to after this. Just relief. I look up at the window by the arm of the couch. All of a sudden, there's a sound on the street. A thought suddenly occurs to me. Something Amy said. They look just like you. The thought startles me to my feet. I hesitate to look out the window. Another memory came back. The state police in the assembly on the first day of school, talking about how he stalks his victims. 
If someone was watching me, alerting them that I was onto them seemed like a dangerous thing to do. I heard the car pull away down the street. It was almost certainly one of my neighbors, right? That was the simplest explanation. Surely no one was looking in the blinds. I paced the living room for several minutes before I realized I was making too much noise. So I double-checked all the doors, and then I went back to my bedroom where I laid awake for the rest of the night. weekend went by without any problems, just like the first one. There was one close call while I was trying to sneak Amy and Raven into the church. Youth Pastor Tom and Emily Hart's mom must have been getting something from the church van. They walked around the side of the building, back toward the youth wing, just as Amy and Raven were walking up to the parking lot. They barely missed each other. But nothing supernatural had happened and no signs of Youth Pastor Tom being the Tri-City Killer. Although, Amy made a reference to him spending a lot of time with Miss Hart between shows. I rolled my eyes. They were both married, and she wanted to believe the worst about anyone who was a Christian. The crowds for the show kept growing as we moved further into the month of October. We were approaching the time frame that Amy believed the killer would attack next. On the last night of the second week, I started feeling overwhelmed, and there was a sudden surge and dimming of the lights. Like the power was going to go out, but it didn't. The group walking through were startled, and some of them started screaming. We were just as surprised, and most of us broke character for a moment as we watched the lights stabilize. I couldn't be sure that it was me like the crack in the TV screen in the church library. After the power surge, I ducked out to use the restroom between shows. It was just before the last show of the night. There were three other stalls, and even though I didn't check, I was certain that I was alone in there. You can just tell. I've been preparing myself when I look into mirrors for the last few days with it being so close to when we expected the killer to strike again, I was expecting to see new faces. But when I looked up, it was just me. And then something unexpected happened. The stall door beside where I'd been flung open and out walked Miss Hart, Emily Hart's mom. Oh. Hi, Caitlin. I didn't know you were in here. There was something very off. I can't explain it. Great show so far, don't you think? I think it's our best year yet. She was acting strange. I can't explain it. But I had the overwhelming feeling that whoever was next to me wasn't the real Miss Hart. 
As the thought crystallized in my mind, I felt a change in the room. I looked in her direction, and she was no longer hunched over the sink, washing her hands. She was standing up straight and facing me. I started backward, and that's when I noticed that she didn't have a reflection in the mirror. The lights flickered, and just before they went out, I felt another presence at my back. When you spend enough time around someone you know, you don't even need to see them. It was Youth Pastor Tom. In front of me, a smile curled up at the edges of Miss Hart's lips. And then, the lights went out. Hey, Caitlin. Caitlin, come on. Hey. Hey. Hey, come on. Are, are you okay? I was looking up from the bathroom floor. What happened? Luckily, the room next to the bathroom was where they'd been hiding. They heard me fall and came to check on me. I asked if they saw Miss Hart or Youth Pastor Tom. They said no one else was here. It was another vision. I sat out the next show and stayed in the dark Sunday school room with Amy and Raven. I told them what I saw, and we whispered about what it all meant. They were convinced that it meant the two of them were working together. Maybe that's how it works. Miss Hart gets their trust and lures them back to Youth Pastor Tom. I didn't know what to think anymore. I wasn't all the way sold on either of them being the Tri-City Killer, but I was certain that they weren't entirely innocent. Outside the glass doors, where the old sanctuary meets the hallway to the new one, in the parking lot, through the windshield of one of the cars, I saw the flick of a cigarette lighter in my peripheral vision and then the dim orange glow of a lit cigarette. I kept my eyes on it while Raven and Amy kept talking. Then I heard the music go off in the hell cave. There was a rule that if you weren't able to get to your spot before a group came through, you were supposed to wait outside until they were through and then go back into the hell cave. I rushed out to stand by the gap in the paper walls to pretend I'd been waiting there this whole time, that I just hadn't felt very well and wanted to play it safe. It was the last show, so I was going back in to help clean up before we all went home. At the end of the night, before I walked over to the new sanctuary where Amy and Raven would leave out the glass doors, I glanced in the direction of that car where I'd noticed the cigarette lighter. It was gone. It all felt like it was building towards something. The next weekend, I had to wait to let Amy and Raven in. Youth Pastor Tom, Miss Hart, and a couple of other parents lingered in the hallway between the walk through hell and the new part of the building where I met them each night. 
I was gritting my teeth, trying to will them to move on, before Amy and Raven did something stupid, like bang on the glass door to get my attention. I heard Youth Pastor Tom and Miss Hart say something about going to unload the church van between shows. I made a mental note to tell Amy and Raven so they'd keep an eye on them. Finally, the doors opened, the lights went down, and the music started in the Hell Cave. And at long last, the parents all went their separate ways. But Youth Pastor Tom and Miss Hart lingered in the hallway. When they were alone, I saw him put a hand on her waist and pull her close to him. She gave a quick look in both directions, and then pulled away and gave him a look that said, Later. My jaw dropped. He whispered something to her, and then they went their separate directions, her toward the youth wing, and him to the old sanctuary where he'd deliver the closing sermon at the end of the show. When I got to the glass doors by the new sanctuary, Amy and Raven were sitting on the curb, waiting by the back door. I brought them up to speed on what I'd seen and heard, and then I rushed into the hell cave before the first group came through. As the first show was ending, I saw a bright flash from the gap in the paper wall of the cave. No one else seemed to notice amidst the normal lights and sounds of the hell cave. But I knew what it was. Amy's camera. She'd been bringing it every night, I guess to catch Youth Pastor Tom in the act. After the last person in the group was through the hell cave, I snuck out and found Amy and Raven. I could tell by their faces they already knew I was going to be pissed. I was. What the hell are you doing? You almost got caught. I'm sorry, I didn't mean for it to go off. Why are you taking pictures? That's when I noticed Raven looking behind me, out the window. There was someone approaching the door at the old church entrance, the one we don't use anymore. We poked our heads out the door of the Sunday school room. He was standing there at the doors looking in, hands cupped around his face and pressed to the glass, trying to see in. He probably saw Amy's flash. Do you see what I mean? You have to be careful. Whatever. We heard you the first time. I'll deal with it. She pushed past me and walked to the glass doors, waving her arm toward the youth group entrance as if to say, that way. He took a step back from the door as if expecting her to open it. That way. She kept waving her hands. He stood there for a moment as if confused and then turned and walked back to the parking lot. Idiot. Can't even find the right door when I literally pointed out to him. Before I could register how strange this was, we heard something. Whispering and movement. I turned to the other two in a panic. Hide! A moment later, we watched Cam and Val pull back the paper entrance of the Hell Cave and come out into the old hallway. I'd been gone for a few minutes and the next show was about to start. They were probably looking for me again, like that time I fell asleep in the church library. We watched them make their way past our room 
and down the long hallway to the new side of the building. We hid until they passed. I breathed a sigh of relief once they were gone. Val and Cam didn't make it back in time for the next show to start. Once it was over, I assumed they'd come back in, but they didn't. I checked in with Amy and Raven, and they hadn't seen them come back either. Then I noticed something strange coming from the old sanctuary. After going through the Hell Cave, the crowd ended up in the sanctuary, where they were supposed to see Jimmy Barrow hanging on a cross like Jesus, while Youth Pastor Tom gave a little sermon. But instead of Youth Pastor Tom giving his closing remarks, I hear Jimmy stumbling through an impromptu sermon. I felt panic start to well up in my chest. Val and Cam were missing. Where was Youth Pastor Tom? Amy could tell that something was wrong. What is it? He's missing. I think I messed up. I think I missed something. The two of them sneaking around. The looks, the touching, finding reasons to be alone together. What if I was wrong about my vision? What if they weren't working together? What if they were having an affair and she was his next victim? Raven spoke up. That doesn't make sense. She's not his normal victim type. It's a myth about the victim types. Most serial killers don't have a specific type. People mostly think that because of Ted Bundy. Amy turned to me. Where's the church van? It's in front of the new building, by the door where you all come in. We need to go there. If she's in trouble, maybe we can still stop him, or if she's his partner, maybe we can get proof. Raven and I both hesitated. All of a sudden, this became real in a way that it wasn't before. Come on, we should be able to see it from the doors of the new building, right? We're safe as long as we're inside. Everything's locked up, right? Besides, they didn't come this way. We would have seen them. Something had to be wrong. He wouldn't miss a sermon. There was noise coming from the direction of the Hell Cave. Behind the paper walls and scaffolding, everyone was getting in position for the next show. We need to go now. I took a long breath. I was going to be skipping out on the next performance. Oh well. We crept down the long hallway. The three of us stayed close to the wall. We were operating on the assumption that Youth Pastor Tom and Miss Hart were outside, but we didn't know that for sure. He had keys after all. He could come back in the other entrance if he wanted to. In the distance behind us, we could hear the screams and laughter of the newest group making their way through the Hell Cave. We almost didn't notice it. Up ahead, we heard laughter. We all paused and looked at each other, and then slowly crept further down the hall, lingering in the shadows as much as we could. Almost to the end of the hall, we heard movement in one of the rooms. I was hyper aware of my surroundings. We approached the open doorway 
It was Cam and Val. Of course it was. I'd completely forgotten that they'd left the show to come look for me. I was about to motion for Amy and Raven to get out of sight. I would speak up and announce myself so they could go back. But as I looked, my mind slowly started to fill in what I was seeing. From the windows, the half-light from the parking lot was glowing blue and white. There they were. Why was Cam standing so weird? Why was Valerie crouched down like that? She was moving in a rhythm while Cam played with her hair. Oh. I stood there, looking in. Not because I wanted to watch them. I was just... kind of stuck. I felt like I should be mad. Like I should be furious. But I wasn't. I was just numb. All of the pieces fell into place now. That night I thought Val had left me alone in the church. The door cracked open. It wasn't a demon or a murderer. She'd let Cam back in while I was on the other side of the building. She never left. Cam and Val had just snuck away and left me to wait for my ride all by myself. They weren't looking for me when I fell asleep in the church library either. They probably hadn't even noticed I'd gone missing. They were looking for somewhere to be alone, and they just happened to stumble onto me. I should have been furious, but I wasn't. It just felt like an ending. The end of something that had long since run its course. Amy spoke up. We should go. We kept going until we reached the other side of the building. When we got there, Amy and Raven finally spoke up. What the fuck was that? Holy shit. They're both trash. Fuck them. Yeah, honestly, they can fuck right off. You deserve a better friend and a better crush. I always thought she was gross anyway. She can fucking have him. I knew what they were doing, and I appreciated it. They're honestly the last people I expected to come to my defense. It was really heartwarming. I mean, I have to admit, though, a blowjob in a Sunday school room is pretty metal. And there it went. There was a yellow glow at the end of the hall. As we got closer, the big sanctuary was in front of us. Several sets of double doors opened up. The dark room lit only by candles on that giant altar. The one Cam had almost broken his foot trying to move. For all the times I've visited this room in my fantasies and dreams, I'd only seen it at night a few times in real life. The glow was warmer than I remembered. The room felt cavernous, but it also felt like home. The eternal light, that's what we called those candles. God's unending love, justice, and his perfect will, guiding us through the night. A reminder that we're never forgotten. 
As we stood in the foyer outside the sanctuary, I'd almost forgotten what we were doing. Amy and Raven made their way to the main entrance. It was all glass windows with two sets of double doors, a completely unobstructed view of the parking lot. No one was parked over here. It was just the church van, and the van was shaking. It was a quiet spot for youth pastor Tom and Miss Hart to meet up and do what they did in secret. Raven spoke up. What the fuck is going on with this church? What if they're not? What if he's... We all knew what she meant. There was an equal chance that we were watching them fuck in the church van, or that she was being murdered in there. I, uh, I don't think I want to go find out. Amy and I looked at each other. Maybe we could just wait and see what happens. All of a sudden, despite all our big talk, we all found ourselves frozen. We had no idea what to do next. And then, the van stopped shaking. I guess we're about to figure out which one it is. What happened next is something none of us expected. The side doors popped open, and someone stepped out. It wasn't Youth Pastor Tom or Miss Hart. It was someone else. A man. He was tall, dressed all in black. It was the man who'd come to the door earlier that night. The one Raven tried to point to the right entrance. We stared in horror as the man in black pulled Miss Hart out of the van. She flopped onto the ground like dead weight. Then he drug youth pastor Tom's body from the van, too. Raven let out a little yelp. Amy spoke up. It's okay. We're locked in. He can't get to us. Just then, I saw the man in black feel around on youth pastor Tom's waist. He must have found what he was looking for, because he reached into youth pastor Tom's pockets. Then he turned and looked straight at us. In his right hand, he dangled something for us to see. It was Youth Pastor Tom's keys. In that moment, I recognized him. The man looking in the glass doors earlier that night. The man in the car who offered to help the night I couldn't find Valerie in the church. Hey kid, are you okay? The car outside my window that night. He took a step toward us and all at once we screamed. We ran into the sanctuary, not thinking, just scrambling to put distance between us. We would only have however long it took him to find the correct key. By the time we got to the wraparound stairs that led up to the stage, we heard a terrifying crash. We ducked into the room behind the stage. It led to the baptistry and a lounge for the worship band and pastors. As the door closed behind us, 
I saw the Tri-City Killer turn the corner into the sanctuary. We made our way to the baptistry where we could look out into the big room from the safety of the darkness. The candles on the altar, the eternal light, they were the only source of light in the room. A brisk October wind was moving through the broken doors. Dried up leaves were blowing in too. The wind made the candles flames dance even through the glass chimneys that were meant to keep them safely contained. Behind the chaotic wisps of smoke from the altar, I saw the Tri-City Killer walking the aisles of the sanctuary, looking down rows of pews, looking for us. I was fully aware that I'd seen this before. In my fantasies about Cam. In my dreams. But his face wasn't blurred or fuzzy now. I could make out his features. What are we gonna do? I didn't have an answer. Maybe someone would hear the breaking glass and come to investigate. But with the walk through hell going on, there was no way they heard it over the noise from the Hell Cave. That's when I heard something else. From outside the sanctuary. Footsteps. Two sets of them. And I knew what was coming next. Val and Cam hadn't been in the Hell Cave. They were coming to see what all the noise was. I heard her down the hall. Hello? I watched the man in black turn around, and I could see two shadows coming down the hall, Val and Cam. The Tri-City Killer ducked down between the pews, out of sight to anyone who wasn't looking directly down the aisle. My heart was racing. I wanted to yell out to them, to tell them to run away, but that would give up our position and I'd get Amy and Raven killed. This wasn't fair. But the devil doesn't play fair. They finally caught up to their shadows, and I could see their silhouettes. I had a moment of hope. They'd see the broken glass door, they'd see it, and they'd run back to the other side and tell someone. But instead, they lingered looking at the glass on the floor. From their vantage point, they wouldn't have seen the church van or Miss Hart and Youth Pastor Tom on the blacktop outside. I tried to will them to go back, but, of course, that didn't work. Val turned into the sanctuary and called out again. Hello? She stepped in, making her way slowly down the aisle, taking in the whole room. She couldn't have known what was waiting for her. I could feel Amy and Raven right behind me. We were all thinking the same thing. We were about to watch something awful. I took my eyes off her for a moment and looked down at the water in the baptistry. 
I could see myself looking back up. Mine and Val's features blended together. She was next. I could feel my adrenaline pumping. There was a heat under my skin and in the veins in my neck and forehead. Val passed right by the row where the Tri-City Killer was hiding. She got to the front row of the pews and looked up at the altar. I watched her through the dancing candlelight. All of a sudden, I caught myself fixated on them, each flame inside its glass chimney. I didn't see it happen in real time. The flames were standing straight, as though at attention, the smoke rising in straight columns, despite the wind still pouring in. My breathing grew heavier, and I could feel sweat beating up on every inch of my body. And then, from the corner of my eye, I saw that dark figure rise from the pews. Val couldn't hear him over the worship music that played around the clock in the sanctuary. And something happened that I can't explain. I stood up from my hiding spot with Amy and Raven. What are you doing? I couldn't let this happen to her while I just looked on. I climbed over the baptistry and hit the floor with a thump. Val saw me climb out and looked on in horror. And that's when I realized I was still dressed and made up to look like a demon from the Hell Cave. I can't imagine what she thought was happening. Cam saw it all happen from the back of the room, and he shouted. Val snapped her head around to look, just in time to see the Tri-City Killer in the aisle. But he wasn't looking at her anymore. He was looking at me. I was the one he'd been stalking. And his face was pure evil. Everything that happened next happened so fast. The Tri-City Killer ran at Valerie. She backed up against the wraparound stairs and tried to stagger backwards up to the stage. Something happened in the pit of my stomach, the very fiery core of my soul. He was right on top of her when the candles grew bright, brighter than they should have been able to. I let out a primal scream, and that altar, the one that weighed over 500 pounds, it levitated off of the ground. Valerie and the man in black looked up just as the glass chimneys around the candles exploded and glass flew in every direction. The altar tumbled forward with a deafening rumble crashing down off the stage. Glass and fire raining down on the innocent and guilty alike.
I don't remember much of the immediate aftermath. I have vague recollections of Amy and Raven getting me up by the shoulders and walking me out. Valerie screaming, covered in broken glass. Cam helping her out of the sanctuary. The Tri-City Killer trapped under the altar. The candles, still lit, singeing the carpet and dried leaves, sending embers up to the ceiling and spreading to the wooden legs and fabric seats of the pews. By the time we were outside, the front half of the sanctuary was in flames. I experienced it in short bursts of consciousness, so I can't be sure whether I really saw what I saw next. Just before we were out of the sanctuary, I looked up at the tech booth, the vantage point where I stood when I had all those visions about this exact night. And I could have sworn I saw myself looking back down as we ran away from the flames. The five of us made it outside okay. A crowd that had come from the walk through hell was rushing to us from the other side of the building. First responders started showing up. They found Youth Pastor Tom and Miss Hart right there where the Tri-City Killer had left them. We were all interviewed in the parking lot. They were talking to Val and Cam while Amy and Raven and I sat on the curb waiting our turn. After a long while, I spoke up. Do you think this is my fault? Whatever's happening to me, whether it's a demon or witchcraft or whatever, do you think it led him here? They didn't say anything for a long time. What were they supposed to say to that? Finally, Raven stood up. I'm gonna go find a smoke. In the distance, the fire still raged, spreading through the whole building. My whole world was going up in flames. Amy and I sat there for a long time while Raven asked the onlookers for cigarettes. You know this isn't your fault, right? Maybe. Demons aren't real. This is just what people do. So you really don't believe in anything anymore? No. So why did you help me if you didn't think there was a demon? Because you were exactly his type. And I really did think it was Youth Pastor Tom. People like him have been preying on women forever. We have to take care of each other. If we don't, no one else will. I didn't say anything. I didn't know what to say. I don't hate you, you know. I really don't. We just grew apart. Do you think we can ever be friends again? I don't know. We're just different people now. You know, it, it doesn't mean we can't get along, but we want different things, and I don't think we'll ever be who we used to be again. I don't think you can go back like that. We waited on the curb for a long time, waiting for the police to come back around and interview us next, sitting side by side, 
slipping into a comfortable silence. Over the coming days, they interviewed all of us again and again. None of our stories matched up. Cam said that he was the one that pushed the altar down on the Tri-City Killer. Valerie agreed with him, but I know he couldn't have lifted it. He nearly broke his foot when he couldn't hold it up a couple of months earlier, and that was with help from the other youth group boys. But that's what he said, and that's what our town decided to believe. The Tri-City Killer was dead, burned alive or crushed to death, whichever happened first. No one cared to ask too many questions. My church was gone. My best friend and I were finished. I never told Valerie that I saw her and Cam that night, but I think she knew. The rest of my senior year was the loneliest time of my life. When I went away to college, I tried to find a new church, but I don't know. Something had changed. Slowly, I felt my faith slipping away. It was scary, especially at first, but another part of me was ready. I was ready to be in control of my life. I was ready to be an adult, to have adult relationships. Like Amy said, it felt like growing up. It turns out that even after I put so much energy into staying away from worldly influences, to protect myself from anything that might lead me away from my faith, everything they warned me would happen, happened anyway. I don't think I was being influenced or possessed by a demon. I was a teenager, and I was having normal teenage experiences. I was spiritualizing my anxiety, and so was everyone around me. All those years I spent keeping the world out, it never occurred to me that the change was actually going to come from the inside. These days, I only keep in touch with a few people from back home. Amy and Raven and I follow each other on social media. Raven went back to going by her real name a long time ago. I don't really interact with them, but we wish each other happy birthday every year, and we cheer each other on from afar. I've tried over the years to make sense of what happened that summer and that fall, and I can't do it. Some things I think are just beyond our ability to understand, at least for now. Maybe I tapped into something back then, but I think those days are mostly over. I can look in a mirror without the fear of seeing someone else's face mingled with mine. But. Every now and then, when I sit up alone, watching TV or reading, or taking a bath to relax after a long day, I'll look over at a lit candle and I'll concentrate real hard until the flame and the wisps of smoke, dancing and flickering, stop and stand straight up at attention and a column of white smoke rises to the ceiling.
Thank you for joining us for this episode of 13. If you like what you heard, stop what you're doing and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This was The Fall of 98, Part 5, The Innocent and Guilty Alike. Written by Ian Epperson. Narrated by me, Brooke Jeanette. Val was Shelby Scott. Youth Pastor Tom was Ian Epperson. Raven was L. Woolry. Amy was Kayla Temshiv. Cam was Dustin Parsons. Miss Hart was Emma Scherzarko. A special writing assist from Ashley Dunstan. Music, editing, and sound design by Kayla Britchie. With a major assist from Josiah Knight and Bridget Howard. Our producer-level patrons are Rick Linville, Tattooed Fox, Rhiannon, Sean Geary, Anthony Diaz, Paul Doyle, Amy Harper, Delta Tango, Jackie Kay, Taylor Crabb, Chantel Payne, Nick, and Emily Douglas. Welcome, Emily. Thank you so much for your support. Our patrons get access to an exclusive Discord channel to chat with the creators and a second monthly reading. There's merch, bloopers, behind-the-scenes content, and weekly updates on the show. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at some version of 13pod or pod13. Just look for the logo. We'll have links in our show notes. If you'd like to submit a story to be performed on the show, or if you'd like to contact us about anything else, get in touch at info at 13podcast.com. You can find that in the show notes too. Bridget Howard is waiting by the back door. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in November. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.